Man, thank you so much for coming tonight. I want to thank, thank Andre and the team. They did, did a fantastic job. Thank you for taking a Friday night and co- coming here and joining me, joining us to do this. So, um, you know, why are we here tonight? You know, tonight we want this to be the beginning of a brotherhood. We want this to be the beginning of, of a tribe, of, of a of a family. You know, we want this to be the beginning of developing trust with one another, being vulnerable. We want this to be the beginning of actually us opening each other up and standing for one another and fighting for one another. That's what we're here tonight. We want to create that culture here at Good News. And whatever other church you came from, it doesn't matter. That's what we're called to do as men of God. So there are a couple of things, two things that I'm going to ask you to do tonight. Very, very simple and yet complicated. I'm going to ask you to let your guard down, right? Some of you guys that are fighters know what I'm talking about. You got to get your guard down. Get those walls down because, yeah, the walls keep anybody from getting close, but also keeps you separated from everything else. So bring your guard down. And I think God has already started to do that here tonight. And the second one is allow someone in. Allow someone in. That's going to be very, very important for us to do. Let's pray as, as we get started here. Father, I thank you for what you're doing right now, right here in every heart and every mind. I thank you, God, that you already started to work. Father, I pray for every man under the sound of my voice. I pray that tonight may be a starting point. Starting point. I don't care how long they've been walking with you, but if they have never walked with you at all, may tonight be the starting point of them being completely surrendered to you. Praise you in Jesus name. Amen. So I want to tell tell you a little bit, just briefly, a little bit of my story. And it's because it ties into what I'm going to be talking about and what God is, is preparing here tonight and tomorrow. So, um, I, I came, I came from, I went from Dominican Republic and grew up in New York city. I spent my, my teenage years in New York city, moved to Omaha, Nebraska. When I was 21 years old, I came here because of a relationship and that relationship did not pan out. God had his plans. Hello. So I came here and then in about 2001, I met my now wife and Actually, 2000. And then in 2002, we got married. In 2001, something happened when Victoria, my wife, and I uh, started dating. Um, I, was, I was doing many, many things out there in the world, as many of you have as well, and so many of you right now are still doing. Um, and in 2001, I got invited by my parents, by my siblings, my brother, and both my sisters. Their young adult group was going to Los Angeles. They were going to L.A. and they were going to something they called a young adult conference. I had no idea what that was. Everybody in my family has surrendered their life to Jesus and I had not. I was the black sheep of the family. I know, Terry, I'm not that black, but I was the black sheep. (laughs) 
And everybody wanted to cram Jesus down my throat. It was Jesus all the time. Jesus 24-7. I go pick up my brother at his work and I pick him up and he shut down my rap music. And he started talking to me about Jesus. I said, dude, this is my car. I'm picking you up from work. And you want to shut off my music to talk about Jesus. That's not how it's going to fly. I said, you either let me play my music or you get off my car. It's okay, play your music. But then they are planning this trip, right? To go to Los Angeles for this conference. I had no idea what it was, but my father invited me. And this is the spin that he put on it. He says, well, you know, those close to me call me Ralphie. And if you become one of the men that are going to shift the culture here at Good News, then you can call me that too. But only if you do that. And he said, Ralphie, um, I need you to come with us. I said, why? He said, because he said, we are driving two vans and I don't trust anybody else but you to drive the other one. <laughs> yeah. And so I go and I said, nah, dad, I don't know about this. I said, I ain't got no money, dad. I can't be. He said, you don't have to worry about money. Oh, your meals are going to be covered. We got the gas. We got the hotel. I just need you to drive. So I talked to a few of my fellas, right? A few of my homies. And I had never gone to, to the West Coast. Never been to L.A. So I talked to one of my homies. He has family back in Los Angeles. He puts me in contact with all of his people and say, we're waiting for you. Come on over. We're going to have a good old time, man. So since I had never been to L.A., I conjure up this plan. Right. To go and have fun in L.A. So I go help my dad. I say, OK, I'm going. There was an old man that worked with me and I told him what I was doing. And he was a believer. And he said something that I didn't understand until much later. He said, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to L.A. taking a few days off, going to the family. What are you going to do out there? You got family? I said, no, they're going to some kind of conference. He said, oh, God is going to change you. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever, old man. So I go down there. And the first day of this conference, we get up there late and, and, and everything. We drove all the way down there. We go to sleep. The next day, we get up early. My brother's my, my, in the same hotel room as I. And then he says, hey, man, you want to come with us? I said, what are you doing? He said, man, free breakfast. Come on. Because the hotel that we stayed at did not have that good breakfast stuff that we do around here in the Midwest. And so they were having breakfast. So they were taking me to breakfast. So I said, okay, you guys paying. I'm going. So I went and got breakfast. And then right after that, he says, hey, you want to go with us to the Staples Center right here? I said, what are you guys doing there? There's no games this early. He says, no, we, we're just going to go hang out and maybe hear a couple of speakers. And I'm thinking, uh, it's really early. I got nothing to do. I said, how long is this going to be? He said, oh, don't worry about it. It's just going to be till lunch. So we go in there and it's just packed with people. And just, just to be honest, I'm scoping out the honeys. I go in there and I'm looking. I'm like, yes, this is the place to be. How many of you are going out tonight? So I get there and they have music kind of like we got going on here. And all this and lifting of hands and guys crying. And I'm like, what in the world is happening here? I didn't sign up to get on the loony bus. So. I'm there, and then the first guy that steps up there to speak is this dude. He's full of tattoos, and he's talking about how he was, he did this, he did that, he did this, he did that, and how God transformed his life. 
And he starts talking about all of these things in his life. And I was like, whoa. And at that time when he was speaking, he was actually in the gang unit of the LAPD. And God has drastically transformed this man. And he had been, have given his life to Jesus for about 20 years at that point. And I'm like, oh man, like every word he was saying, is like he was reading my mail. You know what I'm talking about? Like he was just speaking directly to me. And I felt so uncomfortable. I mean, I, I was like, I didn't know where to hide because I thought he was just talking to me. And it's, it's hundreds of people in that room. But it's like this guy, why is he, why is he talking to me like this? Um, then lunch happened and I'm like, I, I gotta get out of here. There was a break for lunch. I felt super uncomfortable. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. Then the, uh, I was hungry. So I had plans to leave, but I didn't have a ton of money. I was saving my money for the party at night. So I couldn't re- I really didn't want to buy lunch. And my brother and, and my dad and them, they're like, Hey, right here, they got food. You want to stay and eat? And I'm like, ah. Let's go say an E. I'm looking at the honeys. Man, they're over there. Let's go. So I go sit down. And then um, we have the meal to start the music and everything. And I, come on, come with us. I'm like, I can't go. I just got something to do. I said, come on, man. It's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. What are you going to do? Come on, let's go. And I go in there. Then the next guy that comes up, this dude was worse than the first one. He was like really worse. Like the stuff that he was saying is like he was speaking about my intentions for that evening. I mean, he started talking about you came to this place and your motive is to get out of here and actually go to sleep with one of the nice ladies that are in this room. And I'm like, how did he know that? (laughs) Anyway, he starts talking, man, and God is just grabbing me. Another another testimony of a life that had been transformed. Then I started to feel for some reason like my life meant nothing. Up to that point in my life, I have been trying to change myself by doing good. It lasted one day. Because at that time, my mom used to used to cry. I had left a relationship that I was in and have come home. And I was in a very volatile state at that point. And I used to come in drunk and whatever else. And I used to find my mama crying in the living room at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he said, why are you crying? Oh, I'm praying for you. I'm like, you could pray, but you don't have to cry. I didn't understand that. So at that point, I realized, man, is there something to this thing that these guys are talking about? When this man starts calling people and doing all this stuff, I do not know why. But all I can do was I'm, I got up. And my brother had already been telling me about Jesus for a long time. And when I got up, I said, God, if you're real, change my heart. And I will serve you for the rest of my life. That's all I said. There was singing like we're doing here. And no lie, I'm standing next to my brother. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Like somebody's literally stabbing me in the chest and twisting a knife. And I fall to my knees. We're in these in, in this this uh, stadium sitting thing, and I hit the edge, and I fall forward, and I'm like trying to grab him, and he's just like this with his hands raised, and I'm like, dude, I really thought I was, and and he touches me, and he just, and I'm there down there. All of a sudden, the pain goes away, and I start crying. 
I mean, crying like I've never cried before. I mean, I'm weeping and crying and I'm not understanding. And, and all I can say is like, uh, thank you. Thank you. I don't know what's happening, but thank you. And then when I finally get up and my brother pays attention, I said, man, I don't know what just happened. He said, God touched you. What did you say? What do you, what do you tell God? I said, to change my heart. He said, what do you think he did? I said, I think he did something in there, man. You know, so my prayer and my desire tonight is that God will do some heart surgery in you. Just as he did with me. Because see, my relationship with God has started right there. With a transformed heart. With a heart that he has been molding and shaping since then. But why the heart? Let's begin discussing that. And let's begin talking about what God says about the human heart. And that's why we have named this conference after God's heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 9 and 10 say this. The human heart is most deceitful, is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. This is a very serious statement that God makes. God says right here that the heart is the most deceitful of all things. The most deceitful of all things. So I went and wanted to get a little more not from the Hebrew, but just from the English, figure out, okay, what's this word deceitful? What's this word deceit means? Deceit is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. I'm going to read that again. Deceit is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. God tells us that The hearts have the ability above anything else to take something that is a lie and make us believe it as true. God knows that our hearts can mislead us and cause us to believe a lie. So no wonder why we believe some lies as true, right? God can never love me. I will always be a failure. God can't change me. God can never forgive what I did. The heart is deceitful above all things. Can make you think that something that's a lie is actually true. Pick whatever you want. Pick whatever you want that goes against what God says, who God says he is, and who he says you are. If it goes in in contrast or is contradictory to that, you're believing a lie. And your heart has actually deceived you. Remember that I asked you guys to have your guards down tonight, right? At the beginning. The reason why we must bring our guards down is because if we don't, we're not going to allow relationship with one another. 
But more importantly, we're not going to allow God to come in and do what he needs to do in our hearts. This is what Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says. And I want you to really pay close attention to this scripture because it's going to be a scripture that we will use in the months to come. Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Why must we guard our hearts above all else? Because it has the ability to make us believe a lie. So we must guard our heart above all else. And we know who's the father of lies, right? John eight forty four tells us that Satan is the, the father of lies because he lied from the beginning. And in him, there's no truth. That's what we must guard our hearts. So, so let's talk a little bit about how we got here um, to David, right? So I'll talk to you about my heart transformation, what I experienced in the body and, and spiritually. So when I gave my life to the Lord, I started reading about David a lot, actually. So I realized, man, there's a lot about this guy on here. Just want to give you a little, a little fact that in the Bible... Who's the, who's the person that is talked about the most in the Bible? One person. Who is it? Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Jesus. The Bible talks about Jesus more, more than anybody else. There's more chapters in the Bible written about Jesus. Do you guys know who's number two? Good idea. It's David. David is number two. Tie for number three are Abraham and Joseph. Abraham and Joseph for tie for third. And the Bible dedicates 14 chapters to each one of them talking about their lives. You guys know how many chapters in the Bible are about David? 66. 66 chapters in the Bible talk about the life of David. David is mentioned. Some of you guys that are younger know what I'm talking about. He gets 55 mentions in the New Testament. 55 times David is talked about in the New Testament. I think that God is trying to get our attention. I think that God is trying to say, this guy, David, you men, us, we need to pay attention to his life. So as I read about David, there, there were some things that really intrigued me about him. And one of those things was that David was called a man after God's heart, after God's own heart that really intrigued me. So we see in first Samuel chapter 13 that King Saul messed up. So Saul messes up and he is the king of Israel. Israel did not have a king, but they wanted a king because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else has a king. So the Israelites want a king. Then, then uh, the prophet Samuel, the prophet, anoints Saul as king. He becomes king, but then he messes up. He's waiting. He's supposed to be waiting for Samuel to, to do a sacrifice before they go on the attack. And he doesn't wait because he's getting kind of impatient like I do. But more than that, his men are kind of going 
crazy and scattering about because they're full of fear and the enemy armies are moving. So he decides, you know what? I'm not going to wait for Samuel. I'll do the sacrifice myself. As soon as he finishes the sacrifice, then here shows up Samuel says, what are you doing? And then he comes up with excuses. He said, well, um, I, I was waiting for you, like you said, but you didn't show up. So then I did it. And, you know, because the man and I just needed to do something. This is what Samuel says then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. He says this. But now your kingdom must end. He's saying this to, Sam, to, to Saul. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. You know, this, this really caught my attention. Because... When we read about David's life, we know that God was looking for a man after God's own heart when it says here to lead his people. And you know what? God was looking for a man after his own heart then, and he's looking for men after his own heart today. He has not stopped that. His plan is the same as it was back, back then. You know, it's interesting because Samuel, in this verse, Samuel tells saw that God is, is, was looking for a man after his own heart. And you guys took it away, but right there is in front of me. And it says that he has already appointed him as leader of the Israelites. And that is interesting to me because to this point, Samuel have not made contact with David. But Samuel's telling Saul that God has already appointed him. God has found this man and has appointed him. You know what that tells me? David didn't know about it. You know what that tells me? That you may be appointed and you don't even know about it. That God's plan for your life is already set in motion and you have no clue. See, but God's plans will come to fruition. He will execute his plan. For your life, for my life. David did many great things, right? We know, we, 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 many of us have read about all the things that David did. You know, David defeated the, the big giant and the Philistines. And he did many exploits, you know, beating that army and this army and becoming king. He did a lot of great things. He brought the, the ark, the presence of God, back to Jerusalem that had not been there. But something happened in David's life that, in my book, disqualifies him from being called a man after his own heart. And I want us to focus on that for a moment. Second, Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5 say this. In the spring... Of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Let me stop right there for a moment. Um, see, David was supposed to, as king in the spring, go to war with his army. He wasn't there. He stayed behind. 
He sent Joab to lead the, uh, the Israelite armies. Guys, do not send somebody else to do the job that you must be doing. Don't send somebody else to do what you need to be doing. See, David had a responsibility here. This was his job to do as king. But he stayed behind. Do not relax when it's time for war. Verse 2 says this. Late, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got up and got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked, looked over... He looked out over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent, he sent someone to find her, to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, Uriah the, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her. And when she came out of the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she, went, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So, this man, the man after God's heart, stays behind and is not doing his duty as a king, but stays behind and then he's up in the roof of his palace and sees this woman. First of all, he's not where he's supposed to be. He's not where he's supposed to be. He should not be at the palace at this moment. But he is. And then what happens is that then he sees this beautiful woman. And he sees her. And instead of doing a bounce back and forget about it kind of thing. Then he sends a messenger to find out who is this woman. He finds out who she is. That she's married to, to Uriah. And then he sends somebody else to get her, bring her to him. And now he sleeps with her. Do you guys see the, the progression here? Do you guys see how that just progressed in David's life, that sin? See, I don't think David woke up that morning saying, I am going to sin against God. He didn't wake up that morning saying, I will sleep with somebody else's wife. Sin is progressive. It happens gradually and it happens in stages. First, you find yourself where you're not supposed to be. Then you notice a lady. And instead of looking the other way, you say, hmm, I wonder who she is. Then you inquire about her and then uh, you find out who she is. But then you get her number. And then after getting her number, then you go and meet her somewhere. And then after meeting, some, meeting somewhere and getting to know her, then you end up in a place that you had no idea that you would ever get to. And then you screw up your life, screw up your marriage, screw up your job. Tear down and destroy everything that you have worked so hard to do. Because sin is progressive. You didn't wake up that morning. Thinking, I will sin against God. I'll throw my life and my future down the drain. It just happened, right? That's why we must guard our heart. So, 
What happens is interesting. David now finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. And a good plan is to cover it up. We need to cover up this pregnancy because we don't want anybody to find out. I wonder if I ask how many of you have ever tried to cover up your sin. Well, there's some brave men in here. I've been one of those. So David tries to do exactly that. So what David does and that he says, he sends word, he sends word forward um, to Joab to say, hey, Joab, actually send me Uriah the Hittite back to the palace. I want to see him. So then he sends him back and he's and he's talking to you to Uriah. And the, the whole plan was to actually get him to go back home to sleep with his wife. Because that way he came back, he's tired, he wants to sleep in his own bed, see his wife and everything, right? So that way he sleeps with his wife and then David is in the clear because when she comes out and says, I'm pregnant, Uriah, I say, all right, we got another kid. But something happens. There was a problem. Uriah doesn't go and sleeps in his house. He spends the night at the gate in the palace with the guards. Uh-oh. He doesn't go home. And this is what happens in Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 10, 11. It says, when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open field. How can I go, go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Wow. What a man of integrity, right? Imagine that you're out to war. How many ex-military or military men do I have here? All right, praise God. Thank you. Thank you for serving your country. You know what that's like more than anybody in here. You know exactly what that's like. You are away months, perhaps years, and then you get a chance to come home. Come on, man. I'm not sleeping on the floor in front of no church. But this man, that's what he says. The army of God, the presence of God, the ark is out there, out in the open fields. My master's soldiers are there. I'm not going to go home. Man, that really hit home. So, you know, something happened because David said, okay, don't do that. That's fine. But if you, at first you don't succeed, you what? Try and try again. So that's what David does. Now he invites him for dinner and he gets him drunk a second time. And now he says, surely this guy gets drunk. He's going to go stumbling back home and want to be with his wife, right? Wrong. Once again, he slept there. So David develops a different plan. That did not work. So I still have to cover the sin. So this is what David does in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 14 through 17. Just trying to give you a really good picture here of how great David was and the, man, the heart that he had after God's own heart. So it says in verse 14, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to, to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah at the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. 
So Joab assigned Uriah the spot close, close to the city wall where they knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. This is insane. This is insane. David gets Uriah to deliver his own death sentence. He gives Uriah a letter to give it to, to the commander of the army and saying, here, the king sent you this. Dude, and you died just because you didn't want to go sleep with your wife. But that's what integrity looks like. After Bathsheba mourns the passing of her husband, then David takes her as his, as his own wife. Then the Lord sends Nathan the prophet. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, then he sends Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet tells David a story. The story is this. He says, David, there was a man that was very, very rich. And this man had all kinds of animals. He had everything. He was rich, but there was also this poor, poor man. And all he had was this one little lamb that he bought. And he's treated that lamb like it was his own. It, it, it drank from his cup. It ate from its table. It, he treated it like one of his children. So then the rich man one day, he had a feast. He had a party with his friends. And instead of killing one of his animals, he went and grabbed the man's only lamb and killed it. And prepared it for his guests. David, in chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, David was furious when he heard the story. And he says this, as surely as the Lord lives, he bowed. Any man who, have, who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Verse 7, then Nathan, Nathan says to David, you are that man. Let me tell you guys, men, all of you in here, we all mess up. And God knows it. And God will get our attention. So for David, God sent a prophet, Nathan, to get his attention. For some of us, it's what we will call the conscience, right? When you give your heart to Jesus, that's not a conscience. That's Holy Spirit. That lets you know. That puts you in check. That lets you know that you've messed up. That something's got to give. Something has to change. Or perhaps it's a, a loved one. Somebody that really, really loves you. And tells you that. But when we mess up, God is always bringing it to our attention. So, who is God using to get your attention? Who is God using to get your attention? Perhaps it's this message. Perhaps it's a friend. Perhaps it's Holy Spirit. See, it's not about if and when you get found out. But it's about your response after you get found out. It is all about the response. See, when, when Saul got found out, whenever Saul screwed up, he always had an excuse. He had an excuse as to why he did what he did. David asked for forgiveness. David repented. There's something that I want us to do. 
because this psalm right here, I love this psalm and I've read it before because the reason why this is so near to me is because when I read about David's life, my prayer was, God, make me a man after your own heart. I prayed that prayer for a long time because I wanted to be a man after God's own heart. Because, see, I can identify with David's struggles. I can identify with, with David's screw ups. I can. But I cannot identify with the fact that God was calling me a man after his own heart. This is what David wrote. This is how David repented after he did what he did. He committed adultery, covered it up, and got the husband of the lady that he stole killed. This is what he wrote in Psalm 51. And I want us to read this together if we can. Because I want us to capture the essence of this psalm, what David is saying to God after Nathan tells him what he has done. Let's read it together. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean for my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It hunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking. Remove the stain of my guilt. Here we go, number 10. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Stop right there for a moment. This verse. This verse. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I want that to be the cry of our hearts. Because see, this right here is why God said David is a man after his own heart. Because even though his heart was wicked, he asked God to create in him a clean heart. Without me knowing, that's what I asked God to do when I gave my life to him. Give me a new heart. Give me a heart that is after you. Now verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will faith joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Some of us need that. You do not desire a sacrifice or I will offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And finally, 
then you will be pleased with sacrifices offering right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Why am I doing that? There are several verses here. And as you guys go home and moving on from tonight, this, chapter, this Psalm 51, I want you to read it. I want you to pay attention to what David is saying. David is saying some amazing things on here. Against you and you alone have I sinned. So many times our sin scares us more than anything because it's who will find out. When I gave my life to, to Christ and I started, uh, I got engaged to my wife and then we got married. We both come from very um, uh, disturbing past. So she always thought that I would cheat on her. She was always expecting something like that to happen. Um, and one day I assured her, I said, honey, you can rest assured that I will not cheat on you with another woman. And I told her, not because of you, but because I fear God. Not because I fear you, not because of my love for you, because if that's it, if that is what I'm doing, then I will. But my fear is for the Lord. I honor God. And that's been my prayer. God created me a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. David said, do not banish me from your presence and do not take my holy, your Holy Spirit from me. Open my lips, O oh God, that I may praise you. Guys, I want God to do heart surgery on you tonight. Some of you need it more than others. Some of you need a complete heart transplant. Some of you need a bypass, right? You need to open up those arteries. So there's blood flow. Can we please stand? See, God doesn't only want part of your heart. He wants all of your heart. I'm going to read to you what, what the book of Acts says about David because this is very, very interesting to me. Acts 13, 22 and 23 says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. Verse 23, And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus who is God's promised savior of Israel. See, David wasn't a perfect man. And neither are you and neither am I. He wasn't perfect. But because he was willing to ask God to create in him a new heart, because he was willing to do whatever it takes, to stay in the presence of God through his lineage then all of humanity was blessed because a man 
at the heart of God. God wants for you to be a blessing. God wants for you to be a blessing. God wants for you for you to be a blessing. God wants for me to be a blessing. And that happens if we are a man after God's own heart. Close your eyes for a moment. How many of you would be men enough to admit that you need a heart that is clean? Let me see your hand. How many of you are men enough to admit that you need a heart that is clean? 